This episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by Harry's. Go to harrys.com and use the promo code OVERWHELMED during checkout to claim your free trial set and post-shave balm. Are you annoyed by affirmations? What about when you're told to think positively? Does that really help? I mean, does it? Think positively? Hey, that's a very negative attitude. My advice is to deny that attitude and think positively. I'm not being negative. Whoa, why the yelling? I'm not yelling. Wow, okay. <laughs> Looks like you're having a bad day. Someone hasn't learned to think positively. Would you mind not telling me to think positively? <laughs> Whoa, you are really upset. I'm totally getting away from you and all your negative vibes. I'm not upset. Back off, man. I swear I'll do whatever I can to defend myself. Uh, okay, see you later. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you've always wanted now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani. I am a personal empowerment coach and host of this show called The Overwhelmed Brain. And this is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. And if you're here to learn more common sense tips to improve your life, then back that truck up because this is the road to uncommon sense. And that's why it's going to help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. All right, welcome to the show. And I want to get into something really quick. I actually couldn't wait to talk about this <laughs> because it is a negative review in iTunes. And uh, it's ironic because when I first read it, I laughed. <laughs> now, here's the review and you'll understand why it's ironic in a minute. The title of the review is So Much Fake Laughter. And then there's one star. And it's by somebody who called themselves Person 786. And what they wrote is Constant fake laughter by solo host makes the podcast extremely unsettling to listen to. And uh, when I heard that, I laughed. <laughs> and I'm laughing now about it. And I was thinking, is that true? Am I fake laughing? through the show. Now, I will say this. Um, the first thing I want to do is thank this reviewer for their honest opinion. And uh, the second thing I want to do is say that is definitely an opinion and not fact. But let me kind of back up a minute and say the first, I don't know, 140, 150 episodes, 130 episodes, I don't know, were slightly different than the last 50 or so. In the sense that when I come on the air and present to the world who I am, and I believe I'm being authentic right now, even when I laugh, and when I was doing that for the first, like I said, 130, 140 episodes, I didn't feel like laughing. I didn't have the same things going on in my life. Uh, my life was a little different. I was in Portland, Oregon. I was living with my wife and things were going bad, getting worse, getting worse and then the divorce, and then I lived with family for almost a year, and I was healing and learning about myself and you know, doing some, a lot of introspection. 
but I was still doing this show. I mean, you'll find an episode where I actually talk about my divorce and it was painful and I was not laughing. (laughs) So I I laugh even now. Now I'm catching myself laugh, but it's an extension of how I feel inside. Now, this is an interesting thing because I'm not here to defend myself about his interpretation of how I present. I'm even honored that they took the time to give their thoughts about the show. Because everything I read about the show, I get to look at and do some introspection on and ask myself, how do I feel about it? Maybe you heard me say before that that I really appreciate when somebody takes the time to give me even a negative review because it gives me an opportunity to learn about myself. Not because what they're saying is right or wrong, but because it helps me understand how I accept criticism. I mean, there's nothing better than learning about yourself than putting yourself in a challenging situation. Like if somebody comes up and says, you're so stupid. How, how do you acknowledge that inside? And do you validate it? Is there self-validation going on where you go, oh, that hurt. And if it does hurt, then maybe there's a little part of you or a big part of you that believes it. So I think when I read this review, when I laughed, it was absurd to me (laughs) because I don't think it's true at all. I mean, now there's, there's the skit at the beginning of every show. Sure. There's the fake laughter in the beginning in the skit. I think that people know that's fake laughter. It's a skit. It's acting and it's not representative of, you know, me as the host coming on and sharing my life and sharing my teachings and talking to you. But then I will say that there's the beginning part which is right after the, the uplifting music where I say, hello, this is Paul Coliani. I mean, there is a little bit of acting there. Hello, this is Paul Coliani. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm expressing and projecting. I wouldn't say it was acting, but it, it is more expressive than I normally am in real life. Like if we met on the street, I wouldn't come up to you and shake your hand and say, Hello, I'm Paul Coliani. I am the <laughs> personal empowerment coach. I wouldn't do that at all. But, you know, this is podcast. This is radio, internet radio, whatever you want to call it. And like I've said on another episode, uh, sometimes I have to project, like I have to project my voice over the music as it's dying down because that's actually playing in the background while I talk. It's uplifting to me too. So that's why I play it in the background. It could be added in post-production. It could be added later, but I choose to have that music in my my ears as I introduce the show. It makes me feel good, which brings me to my uh, first actual point <laughs> of this uh, segment, which is addressing with this reviewer interpreted as fake laughter. Believe me, I get it <laughs> with radio shows that I used to listen to, or I think tuned in and then tuned out real quick when there would be like a group of hosts and then they would all laugh about every single thing they said, it would drive me insane. (laughs) They would be like, Hey, how's it going today? (laughs) Hey, we're having a great time. (laughs) And I'm thinking, are these things really funny or is it, or are they just doing that to draw the audience and draw the listener in? And I hated it. (laughs) I, I literally hated it. I wanted to tune out as soon as possible. Did you see the one about the guy? Ha 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 ha. And it just felt so forced. And so I just never enjoyed it and I tuned out. Now, were they fake laughing? 
or were they genuinely happy? To me, I interpret it as fake laughter. So it felt inauthentic, and I immediately tuned out. So if this reviewer thought that I was fake laughing, then he or she probably thought that the rest of the show is just me being inauthentic. And considering that I teach authenticity, (laughs) that might seem a little hypocritical. So when I read this, these thoughts went through my head. Am I being hypocritical? Am I, am I really fake laughing? So I decided to listen to the last episode and I noticed that I did laugh a lot after the intro and I do seem to laugh more often than I used to when I did this show. So it gave me an opportunity to go, wow, what, what's different? What's different about me now and me then? And what came up was my history was different. The person I was was different. The the pain I was carrying, the healing I needed to do was all in there and in the past. So when I made this show in the past, it wasn't, I didn't come from the place I'm in now. I'm not saying I'm elated and, and everything's fantastic in my life. I'm not saying that at all, even though I feel good and I feel good about what I do in life. My life has meaning. It has purpose. But there's always more to go. There's still stress that that comes my way. There are still fears that come my way. And I have to deal with those. But um, I've been doing this for, what, three years now? And every time I do it, it's an opportunity. It's almost like reverse therapy in the sense that you're my therapist and I'm talking to you, expressing myself in the most honest way I possibly can, hoping that when I leave this session that I will have improved in some way. So this show is not only a message to the world or my grand teachings. It's not, I don't want it to only be that. I also want it to be a place where I can be authentic, a place where I can express myself. Not that this show is all about me, but you know, I share my stories, I share my struggles, I share everything I possibly can, and I do what I can to teach you everything I know. And, and part of everything I know is what I go through too. And this is one of the things I went through just recently, reading this review and then doing some introspection, thinking, am I being fake at all? And I thought about it for like a nanosecond, <laughs> literally, because I knew I wasn't being fake. And then I listened to an old episode and like, does it sound like fake laughter? Because I really want to find out because if it does, other people might tune out and miss out on something life changing. (laughs) So I went back and, you know, okay, that might be interpreted as fake laughter, but that was part of the intro or that was part of when the music was still playing and I had to project or exaggerate a little bit to get my sound through that music. And You know, I could go on and on and on, explain all these things, but when it comes down to it, I feel authentic and I feel good. And when I'm on the microphone and when I'm talking to you, I feel even better. Because let me tell you what happens is that the more you express and the more authentic you are and the more you connect with those emotions and allow them to come up and out of you, the more it continues to happen on its own. So you don't have to think about it. It just happens. And if you're in a position where you're talking a lot and you're not hiding anything, you know, you're not hiding yourself from the world. 
then more of that emotion can come up. So if there's sadness in there, I mean, you're going to hear some episodes where I just don't sound on at all. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, The Overwhelmed Brain. How are you doing today? I mean, it just sounds so monotone. You're going to hear, hear episodes like that. And I was in a different space back then. You're going to hear episodes where I might be a little over the top. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> and it's going to sound a little maybe fake to you or someone else listening who tunes into one episode ever and that's all they hear of me and they think, oh, don't like that host personality. And then you're going to tune into episodes like this where I'll be talking seriously and then I'll say, hey, you got to hear this review I just read. <laughs> and then I'll laugh. And then whatever you think about that, I mean, this is, this is your time to make an assessment about me or a judgment or determine if this is the right show for you. For example, I've been talking about me most of this segment. And my goal isn't to just say, this is what happened to me. I got up, took a shower, <laughs> put my clothes on. What else would you like to hear about me? <laughs> I don't like to do that. Um, I share stories that have some sort of element of relevance to what I'm talking about. But I don't like to make this show all about me because this show is not about me. It's about you. It's about getting through the challenges in life and evolving emotionally and in any other way you can. And when that happens, I feel better. I feel great. I, I feel amazing when you send me a message that says, you know, I've been listening to you for a few months and my life has changed. Or I didn't know what to do until I heard your show. Or if it wasn't for you, my life would be this instead. I mean, I get tons of emails that just say, what you're doing helped me. And I just feel so grateful for that. I feel so grateful that the time I put into this show and the time I put into my own healing over the years and even the time when I was in my dysfunctional childhood and my dysfunctional relationships and all that stuff that brought pain into my life. So grateful for so I can be here talking to you about it and help you get through the stuff that maybe you're going through. And that just makes me feel good. So I have these good feelings in me. And then when I talk on the air, those good feelings can come out. At the same time, I need to stay focused, which leads me to my second point about this review, which is what can I learn from this and what can I share with you as far as what you can do with something like this in your life? Because it's going to happen. You're going to get people that come up to you and say, you're the greatest thing in the world and you're the best. And then somebody else is going to come up and say, I don't like anything you do and it's all crap and it's going to allow you to reflect because all the positive stuff that people say about you, that's great and it keeps coming and it's great and it reinforces things inside of you and it keeps you going. But that one bad comment is going to stick and so it gives you a chance to reflect, do some introspection and I think I just talked about this a few weeks ago, that one bad comment always sticks in there. But uh, what I want to share with you today is how your reaction to that one bad comment reflects what needs healing in you. And if you can get to a place where you almost laugh it off, like I did with this comment, then it shows where you are inside and how much that you actually believe that's true. Like when I read this, constant fake laughter by solo host makes the podcast extremely unsettling to listen to. 
I, I still laugh. <laughs> it still gets to me. It's like a happy emotional trigger because I just know it's not true. I mean, down to my core, I know it's not true. So I can laugh about it. When you can laugh about the criticism, then you know you're in a place that is beyond what they're saying. It's like if somebody came to you and said, you're stupid, and you've got like three PhDs on your wall, you could probably laugh. (laughs) Not that PhDs define intelligence, but it's just the idea behind someone saying, you're stupid, yet you learned so much in life. Even if someone came up to me, like, I'm not a PhD, and if they said, you're stupid, I would probably first say, well, you're probably right, (laughs) which squashes the energy behind what they're saying. Because they're looking for a reaction of some sort, typically. You're stupid. Huh, you're probably right. What are they going to say after that? Well, well, uh, well, you're also old. Well, you're, you're right about that, too. I mean, if they're looking for a reaction and they don't get it, and they also get validation for what they're saying, where are they going to go with it? And how much worse can it get if you validate what they're saying? Even if it's not true. I, I love to do that, even when it's not true. Hey, your show sucks. I don't think I've ever heard those particular words, but if somebody said that to me, I would probably be like, yeah, probably does. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) They can't really say anything beyond that because they're waiting for me to defend myself or defend the show. What? I put on the show for three years. I put a lot of work into the show. You can't say that about my show. Then they'll get into their argument. And then it will be an argument. And I don't really have the time or energy to get into those kind of conversations. (laughs) I just don't care enough or believe them. And this brings me back to my point is like, if there's a morsel of you that believes even a sliver of what someone else says about you and it makes you feel bad, be thankful. In fact, thank them. Thank them for recognizing something that you need to work on. That doesn't mean you're stupid. It doesn't mean you're dumb. It just means that there's something inside of you that connected with what they said in a way that brought up some pain or some emotional trigger or something. And it gives you an opportunity to work with that emotional trigger. So if you hear the words, I'm just going to use this example from this point on, you're stupid. If you hear those words or something like those words, and you feel stupid, search back in your history. Did you ever feel stupid with your parents, with your mom or your dad, or some other caretaker? Has anyone ever made you feel stupid? Because if they did, that's probably where it started and what you've held on to all these years. So when someone comes along and says, you're stupid, and then you connect with that in some deep way and go, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't very nice. I mean, it wasn't very nice, but you feel it inside and it hurts. Like, oh, that hurts. That's an opportunity to thank them. Wow, thank you for that. I know it's terrible. And I know I always say, stand up for yourself. You know, honor your personal boundaries and say, back off, which is absolutely, it still applies. But also, do some reflection and address it in yourself as well. And I'll go back and forth sometimes. If I really feel encroached upon someone's trying to shove their values and beliefs down my throat, I'm definitely standing up saying, back off. You're disrespecting me. You're in my personal space. You're dishonoring me. So back off. And I've not had anyone not back off. (laughs) 
Maybe it's the way I assert myself. I don't know. But I tell them, back off. You need to back off. And if I have to say anything more, I will. But sometimes if I don't feel so encroached upon or violated and they say something like, you're an idiot, you're stupid, uh, I'll hear that and I might look down and go, hmm, you might be right. And what what are they going to say? No matter what they say, it's not true, first of all. You might believe it a little bit because you heard it before from people you trusted, like when you were a child. But in my opinion, it takes someone who feels stupid to be able to say you're stupid, especially because it's really rude and mean. I mean, it really is. For someone to come up to you and say, you're stupid, that's like what children say to each other. I mean, now as adults, we wrap it up in a a fancier package like, this report had so many inconsistencies and I need you to go back to the drawing board and start fresh because you you don't know your facts. That's how we wrap up, you're stupid. (laughs) When we're children, we don't know how to formulate all those words together in a mature-sounding criticism. But when we're older, that's how we wrap up, you're stupid. But the point is, when you feel bad, you go inside and you go, hmm, I think I have something to work on. And you can choose to go, oh, you need to back off, where you know yourself well enough, where you just don't believe them, and maybe laugh like I did. (laughs) Or... You're going to really resonate in some way with what they're saying. Because if you feel it, there must be a small part of you that believes it. So you end up validating it in yourself. And their comment is either going to reinforce what you already feel about yourself, making the situation worse. Or you can perceive their comment as an opportunity to bring that up for processing. In the sense where you explore that and go, why do I feel like I'm stupid? And you might say, but I know I'm not stupid. But then you might feel that conflict inside of you. Yeah, but what do they see that I don't? Then you might have a little debate in you where you go, well, who do they think they are? They're the ones that are stupid. (laughs) You might have all, all these conversations going on inside your head. But either way, explore that. Explore and try to find its origin. Where does the I'm stupid come from? Whose voice is it in? Because it was probably never in your voice at least the first time, unless you made it in your voice, but typically we hear it outside of ourselves and then we internalize it and it becomes a belief about ourselves. But I know you're not stupid because here you are, improving yourself, learning about yourself. And typically what I find is that people who criticize others aren't into self-improvement. They're sometimes into self-loathing. They're into criticizing other people, judging other people. When you start any type of self-improvement, any and all labels that you felt bad about disappear. Anyway, they have to. They can't apply anymore. Because when you start the path of improving yourself, you override old, unnecessary, unresourceful, and completely incorrect beliefs. Period. Because you either believe something about yourself your whole life and never take a personal growth and development route, which means the beliefs never change, Or you have an enlightening moment one day and you think, I got to do something about my life because it's not going the way I want. As soon as you make that decision and as soon as you take a step into any type of self-improvement, you negate old patterns, old beliefs about yourself, old beliefs about what's limited you, and any criticisms that others have said to you over the years. This is my opinion. You officially negate all of that to start your new life.
That's it. That's my belief. <laughs> I choose to believe that. So anyone on a path of self-improvement, you're already overriding all of that and rewriting your future. So no matter what you think of yourself now, it only gets better. And then maybe when you're talking to other people, you'll tend to laugh like I do. <laughs> and it'll be authentic because you'll feel it. You'll connect with it. It'll resonate inside of you. It'll churn like a laughter machine inside of you and it'll want to come out. So there's my take on this negative review. I always appreciate getting them because it gives me a chance to do some introspection. It gives me a chance to talk about it on the air and um, process it in real time. I don't like to read these things and think about them too long. I like to process them right away. Like, how do I really feel about this? Am I affected by this? One star. What if somebody else sees this? If any of those thoughts go through my mind, then I like to explore them right away. And that doesn't um, automatically relegate it to some analytical process that might be some sort of self-defense mechanism for me. Like, I'll just rationalize it away because I can't please everyone. I don't want to do that. I don't want it to just fall into that rationalization puddle and uh, come up later as some sort of repressed emotion that I never addressed. It's always good to address these things in the moment as soon as they happen. So I saw this just a few hours ago and I wanted to talk about it. That's why I brought it up. And I knew there was a personal growth lesson in here that I could share with you and hopefully give you something to work with just in case you have to deal with criticism in your life. I hope this helps. This is the end of segment one, all about a critical review and fake laughter and all that stuff. Thanks for tuning in today. Let's get to the next segment called Ask Paul. We'll be right back. All right, I want to share with you something I'm almost embarrassed to admit. I don't know how to shave. Well, I do now, but let me say this. I didn't know how to shave with a blade. I know how to shave with an electric shaver because I've been doing that ever since I was a teenager. But I've always been a guy of efficiency. I believe that shaving is so inconvenient that it's better to get it done fast regardless if what I'm doing is the most effective method. But then it happened. I stumbled upon Harry's. I don't know about you, but I don't know, paying $150 or more for an electric shaver, it's quite a chunk of change. But Harry's changed everything for me. Now I come from the electric shaver world and my girlfriend comes from the manual razor world. So with her insistence, I finally decided to face change and quote, be a man. <laughs> and try the world of razors. The difference is astounding. I was honestly scared. You know, the first time I tried this manual razor, or at least the first time in, what, 30 years? I wasn't very proficient. I'll admit it, but now I'm hooked. There's just something about the whole process of shaving that I never got until I used the Harry's Shave Kit. It's almost like a meditation. Introduce your hands to your face and get acquainted with your beard. Wet your face with warm water. Squeeze the cream onto your fingers and massage it to soften your beard. Whispering a love sonnet is optional. <laughs> These are the actual instructions 
that you'll see on the first two pages of their little booklet. And you'll get to try it out for free. That's right, for a smooth shave, you'll get a kit with foaming shave gel, a rubberized handle for maximum grip and control, along with precision German-engineered blades that come with a flex hinge and lubricating strip. You get the kit, free. Just pay for shipping, that's it. Get on their shave plan and have the blades come to you when you need them most. And it doesn't matter if you're an electric shaver guy like I was, or you just want the closest shave possible with a blade, you're going to love what Harry's has to offer. Go to harrys.com and make sure to use the promo code OVERWHELMED to get your free shave kit and find out how German-engineered blades will transform your shaving experience. Get your free shave kit today. Welcome back to Ask Paul. This is where a listener writes an email to me and I read the email and then I do my best to help them through a challenge or two. And this email is from someone I'm going to call, who am I going to call? What am I going to call him? How about uh, Tim? Tim writes, your podcast has made me realize that I myself may be a toxic, manipulative person. Wow. Got it. I've been there, Tim. (laughs) I know what you mean. So, Let's continue what you wrote here. I have always known that I have a lot of dysfunction. My mother and father never really accepted me as a child, and in turn, I was a terrible child. My parents constantly argued with me and themselves, oftentimes, about money. To make matters worse, my mom homeschooled me, so I was never able to escape her. Both my parents pushed me to excel in my studies and in sports, which I did. Eventually, I began to go to a public school, and I got into all kinds of trouble. I rebelled against my parents and society basically until my early 20s. To this day, uh, my relationship with my mother is not good. I mean, we get along, but in my heart, I have mixed feelings towards her. We hug, say I love you, we have get-togethers. Our relationship got really good a while ago when I got a degree in a very hard field of study. However, recently the relationship has been been getting bad again, and I believe it's because Although I have this prestigious degree, I am working for a company that doesn't really pay that much, and sometimes I have trouble paying my bills. I have never told my mother how much I make at my job because I know that she'll think I'm stupid for accepting such a low-paying position. However, I have had to ask her to borrow money, and she has helped out, but I think it made her lose respect for me. I didn't want to borrow the money, but I have a daughter and I am the main provider for her, so there's no one else that I could borrow from. My mom is constantly nagging me about being better with money and suggesting to me that I get a job with a different company. She's also saying how I need to go to church, meet a nice girl, and I want to go to church, and I believe in God, but something is stopping me. I almost feel as if I don't go just to spite my mother. I am currently looking for new employment And in the long run, I believe that I'm going to be very well off regardless if I stay where I am or go somewhere else. However, even if I get a higher paying job, I feel like my mother will only respect me for the fact that I am making more money and that just doesn't feel right to me. I feel like she uses my success to validate herself to her friends and the community. I love what I do. For me, it's not about the money. If I liked art, I would be an artist. But if I was an artist, I know my mother would never approve of me. Nearly every relationship I have had in my life has gone sour. I choose to be with women who I know are not good for me. 
I ended up having a child with a woman who was quite a bit different than me in terms of values. We tried our best to make it work, but it never worked out. And since we have split apart, I have gone into deep depression, which has lasted a very long time. Since then, I've been single for a long time, although I've had some short flings that never went anywhere. After listening to your podcast, I'm beginning to think that the key for me to having good relationships is to fix the relationship I have with my mother. Dating has been challenging ever since the mother of my child left me. When I talk to girls online, I just want to meet up with them as soon as possible. But I heard you say in your podcast that that is a big red flag. Why is this a red flag? How am I supposed to get to know the person without meeting them? Let's be honest. We're all a little fake online. And before I invest time with them, I want to make sure that they look like they do in their profile. I know this is kind of shallow, but I'm in good shape. Exercise is a big part of my life. And I don't want to be with someone who doesn't share that with me. Anyway, for the time being, I have given up on trying to find someone. I really want to try and fix myself first. What can I do to change? What steps can I take so that I can begin to cultivate meaningful relationships with people? How can I heal the relationship with my mother? My father died when I was young and we never made amends. This has weighed on me my entire life. And I don't want it to be this way with my mother. All right. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for sharing all that. That's something I can definitely help you with here. And uh, what I'm going to do is scroll back up on my screen here and look at a few notes that I wrote as I was reading your letter. And one of them was um, when you said your podcast has made me realize that I may be a toxic, manipulative person. Congratulations. (laughs) I don't mean that in a sarcastic or condescending way because that's where I was. When I was married, I realized I was a toxic, manipulative person. And that's why my wife wanted out. She did not want to be judged anymore. She did not want to be with someone who didn't love her and support her happiness. And she wanted out. So after she left, after we separated, that's how I found out that, oh, what I'm doing, how I'm behaving is causing my relationships to fail. So seriously, congratulations for figuring this out. Because if you really are toxic and manipulative and you figure this out, that's the first step to stop that behavior. It's the very first step into healing. Not all manipulative people stay manipulative people. They can change. Some, it's argued, can't. I'm not here to say whether that's true or not. But I will say this. Once you realize what you're doing and you want to change, then you can. That's my belief. (laughs) And I've seen it over and over again. Once you realize what you're doing and you want to change, you can. But there are people that realize what they're doing and don't want to change because they don't think it's a problem. They look at their results and go, well, that's not my fault. That's, That's the world. That's everyone else. You're not doing that. You're actually going inside and going, wait, maybe it's me. That's huge. That's evolved thinking. So really, congratulations. That is awesome. Good. All right. So we got that out of the way. (laughs) Now, here's my next note. You said that your mom and dad never really accepted you as a child. And in turn, you were a terrible child. Well, first things first, there's no terrible children. That's not how it works. (laughs) There are children that are a result of their upbringing. And that's that's what happened to you. You were a result of your upbringing, 
because when you're born and programmed from birth uh, by your parents and caretakers, you become or you behave as you're programmed. There's, there's nothing terrible about what you're doing. The only terrible thing is that you couldn't figure out how to behave any other way. And that's not even terrible on you. It's just a terrible thing in general. It's terrible that you had to go through it. But that doesn't make you terrible. Now, you may realize that now, but I just want to make that clear. There are no terrible children. And here's the thing. Children will often embody the perception that their parents have about them. And let me give you an example of that. My girlfriend, uh, when she was a teenager, she had a boyfriend and she wanted to have sex with her boyfriend. And she was, I won't say her age. (laughs) She wasn't that young, but she wasn't that old. She was kind of in the middle. So whatever you can take from that. And um, just in case her parents are listening, I don't know what they know. (laughs) But she came home one day and her dad had found her birth control. And he looked at her and he said, what's this? And he was angry. And I don't know exactly what was said between them, but she went away from the conversation believing that her father thought she was, and I'm not going to say the word, but (laughs) just imagine a word that means you have sex with a lot of people. That's what he thought, and that's what she took away from it. And because of that, she became his perception of her. I probably don't have to explain what that means, but let's put it this way. She was reckless after that. Reckless and rebellious. Because that's how her father saw her. So she said, well, if you're going to see me that way, then I might as well do it. Because he didn't believe her. He couldn't believe that she would be honest and responsible. Hey, if you're going to see me that way anyway then what's the point? I might as well just go crazy and be rebellious. And from that point on, for a few years, she was. So I've seen this over and over again, where a parent will say, you're so stupid, you'll never amount to anything. And it could go the opposite way, where they over-succeed, over-achieve, super responsible, or they can just become what the parents believe they are. And it's sad. So you're not a terrible child. She wasn't a terrible child. No child is terrible, period. They can do things that are perceived as terrible. And that's based on what the parents and caretakers see and interpret. So any dysfunction that started was, you could almost say, passed down to you. Because it was just programming. It's sort of like, uh, I read about uh, Virginia Satir. She was a psychotherapist or family counselor or something like that in the 60s and 70s. And she was very, very effective. And one of the things that she said about children is that children are like a seed that you plant in a garden. And then as they grow, she said, you don't go to the plant that's sprouting and say, you better grow taller. You better not wilt. If you don't grow, I'm going to pull you. (laughs) You don't say those things to a growing plant because you're there to nurture it and cultivate it and make sure the conditions are right for it. And I like that analogy because that's what children are. They're, they're in a position where hopefully the environment is suited to nurture them and support them and, and feed them what they need so that they will grow into healthy, not so dysfunctional adults so that their dysfunctions aren't passed on to their children, which, you know, your mom and dad were probably Uh, had their own issues, and they probably passed some stuff on to you. 
it's a vicious cycle sometimes and it runs through the family, but that's what happens. And so what we have to do is we try to stop it. Maybe you're stopping it with your child, hopefully. And because you're having these realizations about yourself, what you pass on to your child will be a healthier perspective of, of themselves. So it's all relative and um, very good to understand that, that even though when children act out and rebel, it's not necessarily something they learned 20 years ago because <laughs> they weren't alive. They learned it from someone somewhere and not necessarily learning to rebel, but they learned that um, they weren't safe in their environment. They, weren't sa- they couldn't feel safe telling their parents things or, or you know something like that. There was neglect. There's all kinds of things that us adults do that we sometimes don't even realize we're doing to children. But it's just good to keep in mind that um, children are these brilliant minds that just collect data and learn from their environment and learn from us and become what they become because often of older people around them. So my whole point is just don't blame yourself. Just see it as behavior that was planted into you. <laughs> so let's go on here. You said that you uh, borrowed money from your mom and it made you feel bad. And, you know, one of the things that happens when you borrow something from someone who has uh, any type of negative control over you or makes you feel bad about yourself or about your life, then what you're doing is putting yourself into this emotional debt, putting uh, emotional strain on you because like borrowing money from your mom puts you in a position of now you owe her something and she's going to do things to make you feel bad until she gets that back. In your case, she makes you feel bad anyway, but uh, having the money be an extra thing that keeps you in her debt in other ways is not always a good idea. I know you were strapped and you had a child to raise, but boy, I hope you exhaust every resource possible before you have to do that again. Hopefully you don't. But um, borrowing from someone who already makes you feel bad, not a good idea. So, you know, there's there might not be a solution there, but maybe next time if you get financially strapped like that, you can just pretend if my mom didn't exist, what would I do then? Because that's probably the best solution is to get to a place where you said, if my mom didn't exist, what would I do then? And you may say, I don't know. I don't know what to do. She's the only one with money. I I can't borrow money from anywhere else. But, you know, let yourself sit with that. She doesn't exist, so I can't borrow money from her. What would happen? What would you do? You may not have a solution, but it's always best to try that before you have to borrow from someone that you know will just not make you feel very good and have something to hold over you on top of that. So if you can avoid it, Great, but it happened and I guess you paid her back. Is that what you said? And as far as your mom uh, telling you maybe you should make more money or have a more prestigious job or, you know, whatever guilt trip she's laying on you, I think I would just ask her one question. She may not know how to answer this question, but my question to her, like I'm thinking if my mom did this, which doesn't sound possible. (laughs) Sounds like two different moms entirely. But if my mom did this, I would ask, Mom? what is in your highest interest for me as your son? And see what she says. Well, I just want you to be um, safe and sound and uh, be healthy and have enough money to live and take care of your daughter. And then you can ask her, why? Why do you want those things for me? Well, because you're my son and I love you and I just want you to be happy. And then you can go, oh, 
you want me to be happy? Is that important to you? And if she goes, yes, then you got her. (laughs) Not that you're trying to trap her uh, into an answer, but you want to find out. I mean, why do you want all these things for me? Because I want you to be happy. And then you could say, so if I had a job that made me happy but didn't, didn't pay well, would you support that? And see what she says. She says, well, no, I want you to be happy and have money. Then you can answer, but if I was still happy, even if I didn't have the amount of money that you want me to have, if I was really happy, would that be important to you? Knowing that I was happy, would that be enough for you? Knowing that no matter what, I was still happy. Would you want that for me? And just ask her, see what she says. She may not. (laughs) I don't know. She might say, no, I would rather you have money, even if you're not happy. Then you'll know what her highest intention for you is. I think it's good to know. um, This is for anyone in any relationship. What is your highest intention for me? What what do you wish for me? You know, I want to know. What do you wish for me? I wish that you have a great life. So if I have a great job and it pays really low and I'm very happy and fulfilled, do you wish for me to be happy and fulfilled regardless of how much I make? And you'll find out the answer. Maybe she'll say no. Maybe she'll say, no, you have to be happy with money. And, you know, you could still answer, I know that's your reality. But my reality is I'm happy with, with or without money. Wouldn't that make you happy? Doesn't it make you happy to see me happy? That's another good question. <laughs> so you can go in that direction. Actually, another question you can ask her is, is my happiness more important than your desire for me to do something else? This is one of those brain twisters. <laughs> is my happiness more important than your desire for me to do something else? Find out what she says. These are probing and make her face her own decisions and why she says the things she says to you and why she believes what she believes. And it, she may go into denial and say, well, that doesn't matter. That does, that's not the point. And that's fine. But at least you put the question out there. And maybe another question you can ask is, if I had a high paying job that I hated and I was unhappy with, would you support that? And find out where she goes with that. These are all just simple questions, but uh, you want to find out where she is and what her highest intention is for you. Because I think that's important. You want to find that out. She may not support you. I don't know. But it's good to find that out to find out how she's going to answer from this point on. Because she may never change her mind. But at least you know. It's good to know where she stands. So there's that. Let's go on to the next thing. You said, after listening to your podcast, I am beginning to think that the key for me to having good relationships is to fix the relationship I have with my mother. Well, here's the thing. It's not a matter of fixing the relationship with your mom. I mean, yes, that is a step in a resourceful direction and it may resolve some issues in your life. But the idea is to be the person that isn't affected by what your mom says. So it's really going inside and being a more assertive person, someone who can honor their personal uh, values and boundaries and be someone who isn't affected or controlled by another adult that um, had their time with you. I mean, when you were a child growing up, she had her opportunity to raise you and free you into the world. And that's what you did. Now you're free in the world. And you can choose to have a loving, supportive mom in your life or not. You're free. You're out there. You're doing your thing. You're an adult now. You're a parent now. She's no longer mommy. She is mom. She's a friend. She's family. 
and she either supports you or she doesn't. If she's still mommy, it's like you're the child and you're still looking up to her for guidance. If that's the case, then maybe some growing up needs to be done inside you. Again, I don't mean that condescendingly. I just mean when you behave in the world as the child that you were, then the results that you get will be the results that you get. Because a child can't get into an adult relationship and expect it to work out. The child just doesn't have all the wisdom and history that the adult has. So you enter relationships as either the child with all the fears and insecurities that you had, or you're an adult. And what does that mean? That means when you're with your mom, you say, hey mom, how's it going? And she says, you still have that crappy job and that crappy pay, don't you? Well, you may not like it, but I do. I mean, <laughs> say something like that. Well, I don't like it. It's, it's too low of a pain. You're going you're gonna to affect your child and it's gonna, your child's going to suffer from it. Well, she's not suffering. So far, so good. And, you know, there was a time when I needed money and, and you helped so much. I appreciate that. I am always going to be grateful for that. I'm always going to be grateful for having you as my mom. But I'm doing well now. I'm doing good. I mean, isn't that what you want for me? For, for me to be happy and to do well? Well, I just don't know. You just, you're going to find out that soon life is harder than you think it is. <laughs> I mean, this conversation could go on and on. But hopefully she responds positively. But she may not. This is one of those things. You may not be able to repair the relationship with her. But who can you become in you so that you're confident about your decisions? So that you're assertive saying, you know, you may have had hard times in your life, but it doesn't mean I'm going to have the same experience you do. And even if I do, isn't it important that I learn these lessons on my own so that next time I'll know what to do? Because, you know, if you tell me what to do, then I'll never learn the lesson or at least not in the way that it needs to be for me to be self-empowered. Those might be advanced words for her. I don't know. But you can even hear it the way I inflect. Like if I was talking to my mom, hey mom, how you doing? You still have that crappy job. You still, you still getting paid that low wage. I don't, yeah, I don't get paid as much as I probably could, but I'm pretty happy in my job. So we'll see where it goes. Well, you need to change that. No, I got it. I got it covered, mom. I know what I'm doing. I'm an adult now. You know, I'm raising a kid, right? <laughs> you know, I have a job. You know, I have a degree, right? I mean, this takes some time and skill and effort and energy and I'm learning how it is to be an adult, just like you had to learn how it is to be an adult. And I'm sure you had your challenges in the way you had them. And I'm going to have my challenges in the way I had them. Well, I just don't know. <laughs> so she may give you a hard time or not, but you can tell in my voice that I'm just confident. When you're confident in your own decisions in life, even if they're mistakes, yeah, I made mistakes, but you know, I'm working on getting better all the time. You don't have to listen to her and believe everything she says. You can just believe yourself. I mean, this is what's happening is that your mom is instilling self-doubt in you. Stop letting her do it. Be confident in yourself. So what? You make a decision and you make a mistake. Whatever. Then you move on and you don't make that same mistake again. Or if you do, then you move on again. You just keep going the way you think you know how to go. Everyone is trying to figure out life one day at a time anyway. Some people plan better. Some people don't. Some people have the capacity to plan 20 years ahead and some people just live for today. But is your life really so awful? It's not from what you just said. You like your job? That's great. You love your kid and that's great. You're doing everything you can the, the way you know how to do it. Just be confident in that. 
You're not going to get everything right. But be, even be confident in that. I know I won't get everything right, but that's just the way it is. I'll learn as I go. That needs to be instilled in you, not this self-doubt. Don't let her instill self-doubt in you. You can cut that self-doubt conduit in half so that she doesn't have access to that anymore. If she stops ha- having access to your self-doubt, then maybe you can have a better conversation. It still may mean that she doesn't support you, but at least there won't be any of that um, instilling self-doubt. I know it's not as easy as flipping a switch, but that's the idea, is to be assertive and confident in yourself. Now let's talk about dating. (laughs) You said dating has been challenging ever since the mother of my child left me. When I talk to girls online, I just want to meet up with them as soon as possible. And I heard you say that's a big red flag. Why is this a red flag? How am I supposed to get to know the person without meeting them? And then um, you said some important words. Let's be honest. We're all a little fake online. And before I invest time with them, I want to make sure that they look like what they do in their profile. Well, what I mean by red flag is that it's not a determining factor in whether the person that you're going to meet is good for you or not. The red flag that I talk about is when it comes from a place of desperation. When someone is desperate to meet someone they, they only saw in a picture and read about, and maybe they emailed or talked a little bit too. Is that coming from a desperate place? Like, I got to meet this person. I got I to gotta meet this person. Is it desperation? Is it excitement? Is it a mix of both? Is it something else? Where I come from and where the red flag is, is I want to make sure that if it's based on, I need someone in my life right away or, or I won't be happy. Or if it's based on, wow, they're sexy. I want to meet and see if we can have something, sex, (laughs) or is it something else? The the whole point is, is it desperate? I'm not saying that you're desperate. I'm saying that the red flag is, especially for women, if they sense desperation, like we got to meet right away. Uh, What are you doing in an hour? Then they have to be aware of that because wanting to meet right away, typically for a woman, isn't always the best course of action for them because, and this is something that you said in your letter, Let's be honest, we're all a little fake online. That supports my point. (laughs) That meeting right away isn't always necessarily the best course of action. Getting to know each other without meeting physically is actually a sign of a more evolved, mature process. It shows that you're actually interested in things like their values, beliefs, personality, and all the other stuff before you even meet. Because... Quite frankly, if those aren't in alignment with you, would you still want to meet them? Or is the idea to find out if there's an attraction first, then meet? Now, I'm not for or against either process. I've done the online dating thing two or three times, and I always appreciated knowing all their beliefs, values, uh, their thoughts and opinions on a lot of things before we even met. Because what if we met and I was super attracted, and all this other stuff didn't match up. Then what? Then it's like, well, maybe I want a fling. (laughs) I'm not the fling type of guy. I don't want that. When I was doing online dating, I wanted a relationship. So it was important for me to know all this other stuff and then meet. And then when we met, if there was no attraction, if there was no sexual magnetism or anything that really drew us closer together, then we could be good friends. And that's my own personal approach to online dating. So when you hear me talk about 
the online dating that I did and the dating that I recommend, it's a personal approach. It's my own opinion on the best way to do it. That doesn't mean that you can't meet in person and still do this because you can meet in person and you may or may not be attracted and still get to know them and still be friends. But I think when you go into it going, wow, they're really not attractive. I don't want to get to know them at all. It does say something about yourself. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it shows where your priorities lie. And if it's more physical for you, then you probably won't have a long-term meaningful relationship out of it. If it's purely or mostly physical, then the long-term part may not apply. So that is a personal choice for you. If you want to meet right away, you'll probably get some resistance from some women because from what my girlfriend said about doing online dating herself is that a lot of the men that reached out to her just saw her picture and says, I want to meet you right away because they had an agenda in mind. They had something else in mind. They didn't even care about (laughs) what her interests were. They didn't care about any of those things. And that's great if you're on the type of site that caters to physical contact only, that's your thing and you go in that direction. But if you're on another site that you do want to get to know people, then you go in a direction where you take enough time to get to know the person so they can get to know you. And especially for a woman, there's a lot of predatory behavior out there. There's a lot of stalker-like behavior out there from desperate guys and girls. I'm not limiting it to heterosexual relationships, but in your case, if you're looking for a woman and you want to meet her right away, where is that coming from? Is it just because you want a relationship right away? And if that's the case, does that mean you won't be happy without one? And if that's the case, maybe you're right in something you say a little later, which is, you know, I've stopped online dating because I want to work on myself. So let's, let's get to that. Yes, that's exactly what I would love to see happen is when you can work on yourself, when you decide that you need to work on yourself, that will help you attract healthy, compatible people. That's when you're going to meet the most attractive, most compatible people to you because they'll be at the same level you are in dysfunction, in function, in healthy or unhealthiness. You'll always be attracted to and others attracted to you based on where you are in your level of personal growth and development. So when you ask, what can you do to change? You're doing it now. You're starting it. And the idea of uh, fixing a relationship with your mom isn't necessarily the focus. The focus is on you. How can I be the person that can stand up to any challenge that comes my way? How can I be the person that when my mom says this, I can confidently say, I know your concerns, mom, but I've got it under control. No, no, no. I've got it under control. I'm happy. I'm doing great. Yeah, I could probably get a job with more money, but right now I'm good. I'm doing well. Well, what about that time you borrowed money from me? Yep. I ran into a challenge back then and you helped me and I'll be forever grateful for that. But I'm doing great now. The more you respond from that secure, confident place, you might have to grow into that and you might have to take steps towards it. But the more you can do that, typically the less flack you'll get from family and other people. Like eventually your mom's going to be like, well, every time I say it, it's pointless because you're confident and you're happy. Okay, so if her highest interest is making sure that you're happy, then it's all good. (laughs) It's all set. And so that's a good thing. And something else that you said, and I'm going to finish this letter now, is 
you didn't heal the relationship that you had with your father. You said he died when you were young and you never made amends. So this brings up two things. One, have you ever talked to your mom about your dad's death? And is she in pain because of that? Because I guarantee you, if she's in pain because of that, she's going to want more for you and challenge you to be better than you are because she lost her husband. This is just a guess. But if she is in pain and you guys haven't talked about it, maybe it's time to have a heart-to-heart about that. Mom, what do you think about dad's death? How are you doing with that? You're either going to get tears <laughs> or you're, you're going to find out that she's okay with it now or something else. But I think that would be an important conversation to have. And my second part of this is it's my belief that in order to heal from something like um, your father dying and you still have this unfinished business, unresolved emotion about it. I don't know if you feel guilty. I don't know if you feel regret, whatever it is. I need you to go inside your own mind, find someplace quiet and talk to your dad. If it sounds silly, good. (laughs) The sillier it is, that's fine. But you got to do it because all of this is taking place inside your head. So even if you're not really talking to your dad in the ether, <laughs> wherever they, wherever he is or whatever happened after his death, doesn't matter. Just go inside and talk to him. Dad, I've been wanting to say this to you for a long time. He's going to answer. He's going to say something. He's going to reply. You, you can ask him questions and he will answer. What does that mean? Is it real? Are you really talking to him? It doesn't matter. It's just how your mind is going to process it after you have a conversation with him. Maybe you need to apologize to him. Maybe you need to uh, visit a time when you were together. And uh, maybe there's something that you need to, like you said, make amends on. Maybe you need to visit the past. Whatever it is, do it. It may sound silly, but do it. Because that's going to be a big start to your healing. And then also be open. I've seen this happen a lot. After you do it, that night or the following night, you may actually have a dream of him. Don't ask me how all this works. <laughs> but often resolution is found when we take the time and talk to the people that are no longer with us. And that's what I want you to do. And what you're going to find is as you work on yourself, as you listen to this show, as you work on your personal boundaries and your values and your beliefs, and you start getting more confident in yourself and embracing your masculine side and embracing your feminine side too, embracing the balance that is within you and becoming more of more of being proud of who you are, your relationships are going to heal themselves. You don't have to necessarily work on them, but they're going to heal. And I hate to say it, but sometimes healing does mean separating because sometimes they're just not compatible. It sounds like you may be able to heal this with your mom, and I'm pretty sure you'll be, you'll be able to heal this with your dad too. So thank you so much for writing, Tim. And I hope this helps. I wish you the best. Let me know what happens. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We'll be right back where I'll say some thank yous, give you my final thoughts, and close the show. Back in a minute.
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank Harry's. Go to harrys.com and make sure to use the promo code OVERWHELMED when checking out to get your free kit. Go for it. And I invite you to go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com to check out the patron program. The Overwhelmed Brain has more episodes than you'll find in iTunes and other places because they're private. They're behind a wall of protection. (laughs) They're in the membership program that I call the TOB Patron Program. And patronage starts at $3 a month. That's nothing. $3 a month. And you can go over there right now and listen to a complimentary episode and see what's going on. Go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and check it out. Hope to see you on the inside. And whether you're a patron or not, remember that Amazon button on the website, theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Just use that whenever you shop on Amazon because that's the easiest way to give back if you've been listening for months or years or decades or even eons. When you use the Amazon button at The Overwhelmed Brain, Amazon sends us pennies on the dollar, but it adds up. (laughs) And it's very helpful. So thank you for helping to support the operating costs of this show. So a common theme between uh, my coaching clients and listeners of this show, the emails that I get, is I want to find someone to share my life with. I want to be with someone to share my life with. You know, I want to share experiences. I want to have physical intimacy and not be alone. And, you know, when I was divorced, that's the first thing I wanted too, is to not be alone. So I went online. I went to those dating sites and signed up and I was on there for a month. And then finally I decided, what am I doing? (laughs) You've probably heard me tell the story before, but you know, what am I doing? I still need to heal from this marriage. I still need to resolve whatever pain this is uh, before I go into my next relationship which is, I think, a good idea. When you're in pain from the last relationship, probably not a good idea to go into another relationship because what's going to resolve your pain? Well, the idea is someone else will come into your life, make you happy, and resolve that pain. However, that's not always healthy. That's not always the best course of action. That's what creates uh, what you hear called the rebound relationship, is that you go into a relationship with pain, they resolve that pain by, you know, holding you, nurturing you, making you feel secure and supported. They, I wouldn't say resolve that pain, but they, they do their best to diminish that pain so that you don't feel it anymore. But what they're really doing is helping you heal. And then when you heal, do you still want them in your life? Because that's the big challenge, right? We get to a healing place and then we find out, oh, The person I'm with isn't exactly what I want for my life. I just wanted someone to hold me. I just wanted someone to be there with me. I just wanted to feel wanted. And it takes a huge leap of faith and a lot of strength and a lot of courage to get to a place where you say, I'm going to be single until I'm healed. That's huge. I'm talking about if you have a breakup, a divorce, you're considering it or whatever. If you can get to that courageous place because it does feel scary thinking that I'm going to be alone and come to a place in yourself where you say I'm not ready for anything outside of me until I'm healed inside does that mean I will have to be 100% healed Um, I don't know if that's possible (laughs) could be but you get to a place where what I talked about earlier where you're not desperate as soon as you bring that desperation into a relationship then it's a reliance on someone else for your happiness. 
and relying on someone else for your happiness means they always have to be there and they always have to show up. And if you're not there, they're not happy. And then that's scary. And then you can't really be alone. And then they can never leave you. And not that you want them to leave you, but how can it be really a healthy relationship for either of you if one of you is highly dependent on the other for their happiness? I just don't think that works. I think you can be happy with another person, but if you're wholly dependent on their presence in your life for your happiness and you have no happiness when they're not around, that, that doesn't work. It, it, it can't because there are going to be times when they're not around and you might think, well, they'll come back. So I have that. I'm not saying that losing someone in your life won't make you unhappy. It still will. Losing people makes you terribly unhappy sometimes. It'll make you cry. It'll make you grieve. It is like the death of someone in your life. It's the death of a relationship. Whether they leave, whether they die, it's still going to cause pain and hurt. But that's a normal grieving process. Someone you had and loved in your life and they're no longer there, it's normal to grieve about that and you should grieve. That's healthy. And then, you know, several months can go by, even sometimes a year or more. And you might still be grieving here and there, but it it lessens. And you come back to more and more of yourself. And when you come back to that self, what are you coming back to? And is that self fulfilled with or without someone? It may not be. I'm not saying you have to be. I'm saying that's the goal. The goal is to find happiness within. The goal is to feel self-worth because you know you're worthy. The goal is to feel self-love because you know you are lovable. All of these things that you may look for in someone else, you give to yourself so that when you go into a relationship, you're healthy, you're stable, and if they're the same way and you can connect at that level, that's powerful. That's a great relationship. And it only gets better as you support each other's own happiness and love the other person for who they are and where they are in life. You get to that place and you can find some real strength and real bonding and make an amazing future. And if you don't feel that way in yourself, then you keep working on it. Sometimes it doesn't end. I don't want my personal growth to end. <laughs> I've, I've I've had women in my life that says, I've suffered enough. I don't want any more personal growth. I don't want any more lessons. And I go, I understand. I understand. But then I look at my own life and I go, well, am I having the same lessons over and over again? Because if I'm not, then I'm always growing. I'm always learning and evolving. I'm always getting to the next level. But if I am having the same lessons over and over again, like I did with my relationships, every single relationship I had before this one, uh, I caused it to fail. So that's when I go, wait, same lesson over and over again. What do I need to heal before I go into the next one? (laughs) And then that's what I did. I healed before I went to the next one. Am I there yet? No. Will I ever be there? Hopefully not. (laughs) Because I want to continue learning and I want to continue uh, with forward momentum. Because, Because as soon as you know it all and you healed from everything, then what are you pursuing anymore? I suppose that could be good. I don't know if I've ever experienced it. (laughs) I'll think about it. Maybe there's a Zen in there that I'm not familiar with yet. But that's my goal. That's my pursuit. That's what I want to do in life is try to reach that Zen, but not completely, not where it ends. And to get to Zen, I think the first thing you need to do is open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that 
you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. <laughs>